Hey guys, welcome to the Neglected Podcast. This podcast is not to change your mind, but to invite you into somebody else's narrative. This is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected. It is also an opportunity for all of us to engage. going on everybody welcome to the neglected podcast my name is nick schultz you can catch me at schultzy time our podcast you can find it youtube itunes spotify for the neglected on social media quinn's here producing thank you quinn thank you city church for hosting and today i've got a special guest like they're always special quinn you always make fun of me for saying that but they are got my man felix in today felix hidalgo correct yes how you guys doing hopefully they're doing well man i appreciate you being here and just always give a little bit of a backstory on why the guest is here, how I know him. Uh, you and I met when I was working at a church downtown here in Savannah, yep. going to the evening service. You would bring your son mm-hmm. um, to the evening service, and I was doing like the children's program and ministry and all that stuff, and that's how we first got connected probably, man, five years ago maybe? Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a long time. And how old was your son when you first started coming? Oh, Julian was, he's eight now, so he was probably like two or three toddler age yeah, yeah, yeah. he was tiny yeah when I, I remember just uh, he was a good kid man he was yeah. he was a good little toddler i'm sure he's fine now too but yeah i remember conversations we didn't have hit or miss we wouldn't talk all the time you know for long periods of time but kind of right. told me your story little pieces of it here and there and just always had that in the back of my head became friends on facebook started getting in touch a little bit more over the past year and it's like man i'll I want to know more about your story. I just had the little glimpses of it, but from what I what I heard, it was just really powerful. And then we went out and hung out a couple mm-hmm. months ago, and you really told me a lot of what's going on in your life, and I think it's important for people to hear about it because I think it's going to help a lot of people understand um, definitely some things that maybe they, they don't get to know about a whole lot. So I appreciate your time. appreciate you being here. And let's just start from the beginning, your, your family background kind of your ethnicity, your culture, where you grew up, and your a little bit of your, your family history, your dynamic. Okay. Well, um, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, 1989, and I'm 30 years old now, so it was a while ago now. But um, yeah, my father's Sicilian, and my mother's Puerto Rican, and, you know, I stayed in Chicago for a little while, and, you know, of course, things were rough there, but uh, that's where... You know, the system kind of came into play was in Chicago, you know, and it didn't really happen to us till we moved, which, you know, it was kind of, you know, a little bit of a blur for me because I was still so young. But I moved from Chicago to Philadelphia and, you know, that's when I started noticing a lot more of my mother drinking and things like that. And, you know, she took things out on us pretty hard you know the stuff that she was going through you know which is understandable now as an adult but uh you know people deal with things in different ways Mm -hmm. you know it's no excuse but they do deal with things in different ways and you know it was noticeable to I guess the school and other people in the neighborhood and that's where we ended up getting put into foster care and that's when you said system earlier, is that what you meant? Yes. Foster care system. The foster care system was a part of my life for a while. And From what age? What did, when did you go in? I went into foster care about six, seven years old, somewhere around there. And, and can you just 
before you keep going on that, can you tell mm-hmm. people just what that's like for a kid, for you at that age? Do you know what's going on? Do you know why it's happening? How is your world like just torn apart? Like, Yeah. Well, for, for a kid my age at that time, I really felt like I was, you know, in the know about what was happening. Like, um, you know, to be so young, I felt like I knew a little bit too much, mm. you know, and my brothers were a little different, you know, and they do say sometimes the first shall be born last and the last shall be born first. So I kind of did, you know, carry my brothers a lot, though I was the youngest. But, um, you know, it was something that I knew that was going on. I, I kind of knew what was happening and what route it was about to go down, especially since, you know, I was pretty much the one that started the whole thing. Mm. You know, I got tired of being hit. You know, I got tired of the drinking. I got tired of all of it. And it wasn't a good way to live, but you know, I didn't want to be separated from my family, mm-hmm. you know, and it it really did bother me a lot. It did. You know, my older brother went somewhere and me and my middle brother, we both were together and we went to a couple of foster homes together because things was pretty rough and I never stayed at the foster home. I was always wanting to run away. Mm. You know, I wanted to be back with family that, you know, even though they wasn't my real family, it was my stepfather and he wasn't with my mother anymore. So I don't know, I guess just knowing him and knowing that that was pretty much family to me because they didn't want those things that was happening to me to happen. So I would still run away and go there. So when you were trying to say enough is enough, even at an early age, Mm -hmm. did you really even know what was going to happen to you? After that, and you thought maybe it would be it would be better, but then you got in the system, the foster care system, and you're like, well, this actually isn't better than right. what was happening. And <laughs> what was that doing to you? That was, it was really bothering me. Like, I didn't mean for it to happen. And I did really feel like a lot of it was my fault. You know, even to this day, I still feel like a lot that's been happening to my family has been my fault. You know, if all I the way from a, back then, all the way from back then. Wow. You know, and, you know, I tell my mother this to this day because, you know, we still talk and, you know, we keep in touch. So I, I tell her this, you know, and I feel bad. And she tells me not to worry about it. Wasn't, you know, she felt like she did play a big role and, you know, she was my mother. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having me and my brother basically put inside of an orphanage. Where so Chicago or Philadelphia? Philadelphia. Okay. So in Philadelphia, we was in an orphanage for a while. And, you know, it's a bunch of different little kids, all of us in one little place, you know, and it was rough there, too. Got into a lot of stuff there, had a lot of, you know, bad times, things that happened, you know, having no choice but to be in these situations, no way of getting out of them, you know, nobody really coming to help us, come see us, no family members, no nothing, so... How did you get from Chicago to Philadelphia? Is it through the foster care system? Did they? No, it wasn't through the foster care system. Okay. My mother actually, she disappeared from my father. You know, there was an incident that occurred, and that's when DFAX was going to get involved in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But instead, during the time of my older brother being in the hospital, because the ambulance had to come and all of that, and he had uh, head trauma. And my father was to blame for it. Well, my father was at work. And 
when he showed up to the house to come see me, my father ended up being taken into custody and being questioned. And during that time, my mother went and asked my my side of the family for money. And when she got that money, she took it and she ran. Mm. And that's how we ended up in Philadelphia. And, you know, I haven't, It's I was young. I never really knew my father, yeah. you know. And it wasn't up until about 28 years old that I met him finally. Wow. And that was, you know, it was a trip. Yeah, we'll talk about that maybe in a few yeah. minutes, but. yeah. Um, how long were you in the the orphanage in Philadelphia for? I was in the orphanage for about two, three years. I didn't come out of there till almost 10 years old. All right. So I'm very intrigued on, you got a lot going on here. Um, right. You got the, the family trauma. You've had abuse. Yeah. You, you're also uh, a minority. So yeah. you're probably going through... I'm not going to speak for you, but you might have been going through some some racial issues as well. Oh yeah, and along the way, and you're in an orphanage with with no real home or family, and and what is that? What's going on with you in in those you know preteen or puberty years when all that stuff's happening at the same time? Well, you know, you had to deal with a lot of name calling. I'm going to just put it that way, mm-hmm. you know, little slurs that would be thrown at you. And, you know, of course, kids in school, because you have to go to school still. It's, you know, it's an orphanage, but you still go to public schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got kids that know your situation, know that that big house right there on the block is the orphanage, you know, and he's an orphan and, you know, things like that. And plus, I was I grew up in a Spanish home, so my English wasn't very well. So. Of course, they would call you different racial names and things like that. And, you know, of course, I took offense to it. And I I did have a temper. I had a a real bad temper. And, you know, I felt like that came from some of the things that was happening to me anyway by being whooped for every little thing that I did. So my aggression was very high. So when someone would talk about my family or talk about me or whatever may it be, I would Mm -hmm. actually get into it with them. So I was into a lot of fights, you know, a lot of them. And did you feel that there were any adults out there that cared for you or that you could trust because of all this that's been happened? No, not at all. It wasn't wasn't for a while that I actually found someone that actually cared, you know, and they genuinely cared. And who was that and where was it? That was in Philadelphia. And it was my aunt, you know, not my blood aunt. But your auntie, when she took me in, that was my aunt, you know, and they were a black family. They stayed on campus of Durant College and they came and they seen us at the orphanage. They decided they wanted to foster us Hmm. and they took both me and my brother away from that situation. And of course, I didn't go in with, you know, oh, they're going to really, you know, take care of us. This and I was just ready to get out of the orphanage, Yeah, you know, see something different, you know hopefully not land us back into the orphanage from doing things that I was doing before, like running away, getting into a bunch of fights and stuff like that. So I was trying to keep myself, you know, under control and know that somebody's trying to do good for us, you know, genuinely. And what age were you when they took you into their home? They took us into their home when I was about almost 11. Okay. So about 11 years old, my brother being 12, 13. And they had other kids that was there too as well. And 
How'd you get along with them, with their biological kids? Or did they have other foster kids? Oh, they had biological kids as well. And, you know, they were much older. You know, one in the military, another one was a college student, and the other one was high school, you know, but basically like, you know, 11th, 12th grade. So he was about to get out anyway, but they were much older. And I learned a lot from them as well. You know, that's where that, that foster home, you know, did a lot for me. They brought me closer. They actually brought me closer to God. You know, I was, you know, in church a lot, especially when I got in trouble at school. So um, I learned how to play basketball. I learned how to play football, you know, a whole bunch of things, you know. And I learned some good manners. And, you know, I did get into trouble still. Mm -hmm. I still got into a lot of trouble. You know, I'm still a, a youngster, you know. I'm still learning. So, and of course, I still did have a temper. Yeah. And they were helping me control that, you know. And I was with them for... I want to say about three more, three years. And you still in contact with them? Unfortunately, I'm not. Mm -hmm. And that story, you know, does bother me a lot, you know, that I'm not in contact with them, you know. And I don't regret coming down south. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a choice and my brother had a choice as well. And of course, we missed our mother, you know, and we wanted to be closer to her. Now we're, you know, teenagers and you know, we can actually do something, you know. Yeah. And we decided to come down south. Yeah, man, it's it's really I'm sure there's so many details in all of that all of that that you just summed up in a short amount of time. But my wife and I are we're foster parents and a foster family. And so this really hits home because it's not easy to be a foster family and take in kids that aren't yours because of really the unknown and you know, I don't want to say baggage, but you just don't know what the kid is bringing into your home, especially when you have a family there as well. It's That's not, true. it's not that you are a bad kid. It's just look at the circumstances that you grew up in and lived your entire life in. That's very it, true. And all that stuff is not your fault. You you didn't have the tools to, that you needed to, to live life in a healthy way. You know? Right. And not just physical ones, just like mentally and emotionally what you probably had to go through and i'm still you still sure you might even deal with some of that like that's that's traumatic man mm -hmm. i mean you know growing up in, in philadelphia with the male figures that was in my life you know they could have been you know better mentors but what they were mentoring me for was not the positive you right. know i mean yeah they did use some of the anger and temper that i had built up in different ways like you know boxing and stuff like that but mm -hmm. uh you know, the things that I was learning, the things that I was seeing, you know, having the experience, just it's not good for a child. You know, your your childhood is basically gone at that point. You know, you never have a chance to be a kid, you know, when you're too busy trying to take care of your family also and keep your family together. You know, and, you know, I came to Philadelphia, I mean, from Philadelphia down here to Savannah and it, it was the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, my mother was still drinking though she said she wasn't you know had to leave out of the house at a early age you know before 18 so i mean so you're on your own at 18 yeah or before 18 before 18 so pretty much you know my whole life has been always trying to take care of myself after a while you know and i went from being in a situation with people who actually cared about me and loved me you know, and wanted me to finish school and do all of that, you know, 
didn't even have a chance to finish school. You know, I had to stop doing certain things in order for me to, you know, take care of myself, you know. And it's not that I didn't want to go to school because I've always wanted to go to school. Always wanted to get an education, you know, but I just had to stop. Yeah. You know, I had to work. You know, my mother couldn't put a roof over our head, you know, and I had to do what I needed to do for myself. What made you want to come down to Savannah from Philadelphia? To be with my mother. So you found out she was down here or you mm -hmm. knew she was down here the whole time you were in Philadelphia? And no, we found out she was down here after a while. She uh she made she reached out and contacted us and she was married. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was a surprise to us, you know, to be honest. But we did know who she was married to once she told us because that was, you know, a nephew to one of her associates that she knew in Philadelphia. So Okay, so you came down to Savannah, and I have just kind of one question before we get into your time down here in Savannah is, man, do you ever wonder or think about what your life would have been like if you just grew up in a healthy home? Whether, All the time. whether it was one parent or two parent home, and it was just healthy, like how things would be different. Do you, is, that, is there any resentment to that? Do you, you know, does it bother you? I mean, I think about it all the time. I definitely do. But, you know, I feel like this was my my story, basically. This yeah. is what I was meant to live, you know. And I'm not going to let it, I guess, define who I am or beat me down to that point where, you know, I don't think about my family in that in that sense. If You, you know, mm -hmm. these are the ones that was given to me. This is my choice right here for me. Yeah. So I don't let it bother me as much. Yeah. I think about it, but mm -hmm. I don't let it bother me, you know. Yeah, and you you come down here, you're you're 17. Come down to to be here with your mom and man, how do you even relate to anybody based on what you've been through? You know, other people your age or like how do you how do you yeah. find common ground with other people with the life that you've lived? Well, surprisingly, I did have some real good friends that I met here, good. you know, that was similar. You know, they had some things going on with themselves as well. And uh, I, see, I think my situation, yeah, it might be pretty bad, but you don't really know till you see someone else's situation, hmm. you know, yeah. and what they have to deal with. And though it's similar, I felt like it was pretty bad, you know, and we gravitated towards each other. You know, we consider each other to be brothers to this day, mm. you know, and um, it was good to meet them, but like I'm saying right now, I mean, their situation with, wasn't no better than mine or worse than mine, but yeah. we were there for each other, I guess, emotionally and mentally to try and, you know, let each other know, hey man, everything's gonna be all right. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't help you, but I can at least talk with you and let you know not to give up. Yeah. So how you know? how all right was it once you were not not eighteen yet? You decided to move out of the house that your mom was in, and what kind of what kind of things happened after that? Well, I ended up having to stay where I could stay at. Different friends, you know. After a while, I uh, ended up coming across some older gentlemen, well, guys, and. Ended up staying with them, but 
you know, nothing's free when it comes to, you know, certain people. You know, they try to get something out of you in some type of way. You know, whether it be you working for them and, you know, doing certain things or whatever it may be. And, you know, I did it for a while. You know, they put a roof over my head, food in my stomach, you know, things like that, clothes on my back, you know, and eventually I got a job, you know, but it started getting uncomfortable, you know, because nothing was really mine. And I was always having to do whatever I was told to do, you know, having to get up whenever I'm told to get up and, you know, cook for grown men. Like, you know, it's like, come on, man. Like, were you, you still know. in the system? Were you still in the foster care system no. when you came to Savannah or did you no. get out? I was out of the system by then. And how do you get out of the system? Well, basically uh, an emancipation of yourself also will get you out of the system. Uh, you know, having a guardian, someone that you can go to, which of course we accepted our mother right. as our guardian again. And we only did that because she told us that she wasn't drinking no more. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case. So, you know, choices were made, mm -hmm. you know, and of course my older brother, when he came down here, you know, he got into some trouble and, you know, we were, we were incarcerated. You know, I was incarcerated not too long after getting here. And so was he. And I was a little upset by that. And I guess I went off the handle a little bit and ended up, being right behind him. How know? long were you in for? Well, uh, I did, I did almost two years when I was actually committed. You know, I did about two years. And off and on, my brother's done a lot. You know, even till our adulthood, mm -hmm. he's done a lot. And so what, did you, were you, Convicted as an adult, so you were eight, over 18, or as a juvie? See, so when I came down here, it was around 16. So when I was here, this was a few months into being in the Savannah. Mm -hmm. So I want to say that I was in juvenile for a while, and after juvenile, they sent me up the road. And when you go up the road, of course, they have a place that's... um not just for, you know, juveniles, but those that will be coming of age that will go to prison sooner or later. And that experience was, it was traumatizing, to be honest. What, what ways, what, you know, I mean, maybe not specific things that happen, or you can share whatever you want, but like, what did that time do to you? That time really opened up my eyes to what could happen to me, you know, if I continued down a certain road. You know, if I continued following, I guess, my own lead, you know, thinking that I had to do this in order to get this, you know. And, I mean, I've seen kids die. I've seen them be, you know, raped and all types of things. Mm. You know, a lot of fights, you know, broken bones, you know, suicides. You know, and these are kids, you know, I mean... Most of most of the kids, I'm going to say most of us because, you know, I fall into that group and could have been one of those kids. So most of us that grow up the way that we do, we don't have that figure in our life, you know, and it doesn't have to be a parent. 
you know, I mean, we as men, you know, when we see something going on, you know, we don't have to prey upon that person, you know, and use them for what we can use them for. You know, sometimes they just need somebody to actually be there and care, you know, as if you're their big brother, you know, or their father. However may it be, because some of these gentlemen that I knew, they were way older than me. But the things that they were showing me and telling me to do, it just wasn't, it wasn't the right thing. It wasn't at all. So you had your mind made up. I'm not going back. No, that was it. Did you have to change certain things about your lifestyle or behavior or thoughts when you got out in order to not go back? Yeah. I mean, not completely, Mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, I've always been, I'm very humble. You know, I give the shirt off my back if I've someone asked me, you know, I've, I've never done anything that's above and beyond, you know, I just, you know, wrong place, wrong time, you know. So just situations. Yes. Yeah. Just situations that I find myself in just being with someone else or, you know, like I said, wrong place, wrong time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's why when I came back and I started working when I was living for these guys, you know, I was living with them and working with them, but also working my own job in the same sense. And I'm living with them. So of course I'm always paying attention to my surroundings. I'm a little bit older now. So I'm always paying attention, you know, and at this point, I guess I wasn't really paying attention. You know, of course I was doing things that teenagers would do and I was a little inebriated, so my mind fo- ain't fully focused on what's going on. And that night I was gonna get out of their home. You know, I got my own job. I'm not having to work for nobody. I'm working for myself now. I have my own job. And, you know, police talked to me earlier that day. I didn't think really nothing of it. You know, I told them I work for a living. I haven't been in this neighborhood in two years, you know. And I go to the apartment, and later on that night, you know, the guys, they all separate. They go to do what they need to do, you know. And I'm sitting inside the house, and another gentleman's there, and another guy who's staying there, you know. One of them just hanging out on the couch for a while. And his two friends come over. They talk in the kitchen for a little bit, and they leave, you know. And another guy, he's still sitting there. He has to hold a pair of my pants. I said, sure, no problem. You know, go ahead. And uh, yeah, I'm playing a little video game, a kid's video game, you know, Kingdom Hearts. Some people may know about that. But uh, lightning, thundering, you know, raining the whole nine yards that night. And uh, as soon as he asked to hold a pair of my pants, he took off running. He just ducks and takes off running. So when he took off running, you know, I'm laughing. I'm thinking it's a joke, you know. So I turn. I'm looking as he runs. And sure enough. There's a 38 revolver and a guy telling me to get down, you know, full ski mask, the whole nine yards. I end up getting shot that night. Hmm. Where? And in my leg. Hmm. You know, I mean, there was reasons why, but I mean, then again, you never know. He probably just didn't have good aim. Mm-hmm. But we were in close proximity. So I walk out, I run out of the door and I run out of another door. You know, and I was praying to God right then and there. And lucky I was able to run a good while. You know, I, I made it all the way to a Sonic. 
and that's where the ambulance and police, of course, showed up at. And, you know, ever since then, I was like, never again will I be caught in a situation like this, you know. I know the people that I should be placing myself around, and I should have been doing it before I came home. I don't know why I continued, you know, oh, one more night, yeah, one more night. You know, when you ask for something, you know, you got to ask correctly. You know, you really got to take your time on your prayers because sometimes you get what you want, but it's not going to be exactly how you want it. You know, it will never be that way. So you just have to know how to pray. And yeah, I felt like that was God telling me that I need to get out of this situation and I need to do it now, mm. not one more night right now. And ever since then, I've always took care of myself in a different manner, you know. Wow. And, you know, I never look back, you know, none of none of the people that I know, they don't look at me different. They don't, you know, talk different about me. You know, they've always known that I am who I am, mm -hmm. you know, and the reasons why I've done certain things were because I, you know, I had to. Yeah. How old were you when that happened when you got shot? I was, uh... What, 18? 18, about to be 19, somewhere around okay. there. 18, 19, and kind of decided after that, not not doing this again. No. Not doing that again. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you make some changes, and then obviously I want to make sure we talk about just having a son because <laughs> that's a that's a major change in your life too. And yeah. did you feel like you were changed enough and in a, in a healthy place for a son to happen? Was it a surprise to you that you were having a son? and? You know, uh, here you are, the grew up a a boy without really a family in a foster care system and going through all this stuff you just shared. And now here you are yeah, bringing a son into the world and now you're responsible for him. And what kind of pressure did you feel on yourself for that? Well, a lot, you know, and it, it, it was a surprise to me, you know. Um, I was happy, though. I can't lie. I was very happy. And... Nervous in the same sense, you know, because I didn't know if I was capable, you know, of being a, a father. I didn't even know what that really was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just always knew in my heart of hearts, I always knew that I would try my best no matter what, you know, to be a good dad. You know, I've always wanted a big family. I've always wanted my family to be close, you know, and, you know, I'm still working on that now still trying to make that happen but you know everything takes time you know is it what you thought it was going to be is it harder to be a father <sighs> easier than maybe you thought it's harder than what i thought did it know? make you view your your parents any differently when you had your own kid well yeah i, I understood kind of where they coming from as far as in you know, not the just the way I was being disciplined, but mm -hmm. as far as in the discipline aspect, you know, I feel like if you talk to your child, you know, it would get across better than just going upside the head, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just wrong, you know, and I don't have to do that, you know, and I'm glad I don't have to do that. You know, I feel like, you know, my kids just listen, you know, they look at me, they listen, you know, they feel you know, where I'm coming from when I talk to them. They know when the tone of voice is being, you know, stern and mm -hmm. oh, I did wrong, you know, and my, my boys understand that. You know, they, they look at me with that, sorry, you know, like I didn't know, 
you know, and that's what it is. They don't know, you know, and you can't just, you know, hit a child in that manner. I mean, I can understand there's some times where it comes a time where a child has to be popped on the butt, you know, but not a beat down like they're grown. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not right. How much so, do you how much do your your son, your oldest how much does he know about what you've been through? Because he's what you said, eight, he's now? eight, yeah. eight now. Like, how much do you let him in? I mean, he's still young, but is there any things that you let him in on? Right, like I, you know, I tell him about you know, as far as in like friends, you know, and family. You know, you appreciate your family. You know, like really appreciate them because some people don't have this. They don't. They don't have a mother or father that really, really cares. You know, and shows it with every part of their being, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't have an auntie, you know, an uncle, grandmother, great-grandmother, you know, on both sides of the family that are there, you know. Yeah. They might not have much, but they do what they can, and you're always smiling and happy, you know. Like some kids, you know, the reason why they are so down or sad sometimes is because they don't have other children have. Yeah. You know, they look at your toys and they're like, oh, man, look at these, you know, and they're so excited about it, you know, and you might not be, but you're wondering why. I mean, you got to think about it, you know. Some kids don't have very much. As far as in food, you know, there's some kids that will eat anything. It doesn't matter what it is, you know. I used to be one of those kids. And And you, Poppy, you eat nuggets and noodles, you know, the same old thing all the time. You know, you have something new put in front of you, and you're just like, oh. You like your nuggets and noodles, man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but that's I, I, I try you. to let him in. I, you know, he knows that, you know, daddy walks a little funny sometimes because, you know, the weather. But, you know, daddy's, you know, daddy's been shot, yeah, you know. Yeah. I've had some experiences growing up that I'm hoping mm-hmm. that you would never have to go through. Wow. You know. I'd love to get your <clears throat> opinion on, um, since we met at church where I was working too, mm-hmm. love to get your opinion just on what your views of God were gr- growing up and all the things that you had to go through to even now and what that was like because, you know, honestly, sometimes people's view on God is because they don't have a difficult life. Right. And they, they're not, they realize I don't need them because I have kind of, things I want to need and here you are going through a beating and going through the foster care system and <clears throat> living in places you don't want to and getting shot, going to prison and you know what is, what is your view on God or religion and through that whole that whole time? Well, I, I can definitely say that my view on God has always been, you know, positive, definitely. You know, uh I mean I wasn't before I started into the foster care system and stuff like that, you know, I was aware of who God was and was practicing on being a child of God, you know, and I was praying also, you know, but didn't know how to pray, you know, was just asking for things or whatever may it be, you know, just trying to, I guess, feel out what it was like, you know, to know God, you know, if he was real, you know, which, of course, everything that I've asked or prayed about has, you know, 
came around and have come. You know, it definitely has. You know, uh, of course, I've always, I prayed when I was younger for, and I understand it now that I'm older, that what I was praying for wasn't being direct, you know, and that's why things happened the way that they did happen, you know, and it was for me to, it was meant for me, you know, it was meant to make me who I am today. You know, I could have been way worse. I could have been somebody who really didn't have a care for life and for other people. You know, I could have been out there doing the same thing that some of these guys are doing, but I chose a different route. You know, I chose for God to guide me, you know, and as I got older, you know, and different people coming into my life and continuing to show me how God works, you know, it started getting a little bit more in depth with my prayers and, you know, things still came into fruition. They still ended up happening, you know, and... Of course, I could have ended up committed to the state and going to prison the whole nine yards, mm -hmm. you know, or shot and dead inside of someone else's home, you know, or, you know, on the news for whatever may it be, you know, but praying to God and asking him for, you know, a sign, a way out, you know, what it is that I need to be doing next. You know, he always provided that. It might have been different. It might have been rough, but... Like someone real close to me said, um, if you really don't know how you want to ask, just pray for whatever it takes. You know, Lord, whatever it takes. I may not know what that is, but I know if you want it to be, whatever it takes. And it's going to take it. It's going to be, it might be something real, real, you know, dramatic yeah. or something, you know, very, very simple. You feel comfortable walking into a church? Very comfortable. Very comfortable. I know sometimes, you know, people do judge, you know, but I feel like, you know, a church is a place that shouldn't never judge, you know, no one. You know, you come as you are, mm -hmm. you know, be who you are, you know, just, uh, just have that love in your heart, you know, and people, they'll see it, they'll feel it. Once you start talking to them also, they'll they'll know, you know, mm -hmm. they'll know. What was the best memory you had growing up? Oof. Best memory I had growing up. I'd say, um, <laughs> wow, that's kind of hard, to be honest. You know, it's... it'd be hard for me too. That's kind of why I ask. Yeah. It's because I have a whole bunch I can immediately go to because, you know, a lot of times some of the things we go through, whether it's traumatic or we either have traumatic stuff or we have really amazing things that happen and those things can pop up really quick. Right. I'm just thinking about your life and it'd be hard mm -hmm. to hard to think about. And then you have, you know, your father now. And it's like, I imagine that would be something you'd want to you wow. change in their lives where it's like when you think about your childhood you're gonna have great memories. Yeah, and that's very true. That's, that's what I try to do every day. I try every day. And I, I mean, know you do, man. If I could think of one aspect of my childhood that I'd, I'd say is, <laughs> my mother was, of course, intoxicated at that time too, but she was there at one of my games. And uh, 
was one of my football games. And I ran, I was running back, and uh, I ran a touchdown for like, say like maybe 65 yards, somewhere around there. And uh, yeah, she was running down the sidelines, you know, cheering <laughs> me on, you know. And uh, yeah, that's uh, one of my good memories of being a child, you know, that I can remember. I'm sure there's a couple more, yeah. but one that jumps out immediately all the time would be that one. Nice. You know. I want to touch on something real quick and then ask you one last question because you actually need to go pick up your son in a few minutes here. I want to make sure you're not late. But I do, if you can quickly just share how you got reconnected with your father in just a couple minutes because that's really fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, uh, this was a, it was a trip, you know? I mean, it really was. This day I was, um, I was off work. I took off work so that I could take my son to a doctor's appointment because he wasn't feeling good. And, uh, we go to the doctor's appointment and of course we get checked in and we're waiting to go back into the back. So we're sitting in a uh, sick area and we're playing on my phone, Star Wars or whatever. And I see little banners pulling up on my phone, you know, and they're like, uh, you know, such and such senior, you know, is requesting to be your friend, you know, and I'm like, who's this guy with my name, you know? Requesting to be my friend, you know. So, uh, you know, I click on it and, you know, I accept, you know, no big deal. Okay. And we continue playing on the phone, the phone. And then I see a couple of, you know, more banners and it's, you know, comments on, you know, my page. So I'm just like, okay, what's going on here? So I click on it and he commented on, you know, oh, you have a handsome son. I bet you're very proud, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I am. You know, and then uh, a picture of me laying in bed with my dog because my dog slept with me in the bed all the time. And he's like, oh, man, you got a dog too? My dog sleeps in the bed with me, like, you know, just like that. I'm like, <laughs> like, who is this guy, man? Yeah, this is starting to, you know. So, you know, as we're, you know, attending the, the appointment, you know, I see, you know, a post on my page, on my timeline. And it's, you know, hey, guys, this is Felix, you know. Junior would really like it if you get in touch with me. And he posted his number on my wall. So I'm just like, who is this guy trying to get in touch with my friends on Facebook? Like, sending, you know, what's up with this? So, you know, after, you know, we leave out of the appointment, you know, I'm at the desk and I'm like, yeah, this guy, you know, trying to talk to my friends on Facebook, sending his number. And she was like, you never know. It might be your father. And I thought about it and I'm like, hmm. You know, so I go outside and we go in the car and I'm talking to my son. I'm like, you know, you know, it might be my dad. And he's like, it might be daddy. So I call a number as I'm getting into the car and we're starting to drive now, which I shouldn't have done. But, you know, I talking on the phone and as soon as he picks up, I'm like, uh, yes, this is Felix Hidalgo. May I ask who's, you know, who's speaking? You know, he's like, this is Felix Hidalgo. Oh, man. And I'm like, I know I just said that. <laughs> and he, you know, right then and there, he was like, oh. he's like, son, it's me. It's it, I'm, your, I'm your father. And, you know, like it hit me like right then and there. I mean, even right now, I kind of want to, you know, have tears in my eyes because, I mean, like Christmas, holidays, all that, like all I ever wanted, you know, was, you know, my pop. Yeah. That's it. It's all anybody ever wants. I feel somebody, you know. A male figure especially, mm-hmm. you know, a pop. And mine found me. 
you know, and it really tripped me out. It really tripped me out. Like, I couldn't believe it, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, you know, give me a few. I'm going to call you right back. I'm driving in the car with my son right now and just got done a doctor's appointment. He's like, he's like, okay, no problem. Just give me a call when you get a chance, you know. I'm like, you know, like freaking out driving. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a... It was a it was a trip, you know. Twenty eight, I finally met him, you know, and he found me on Facebook, yep. <laughs> of all places, you know. I wouldn't have wouldn't have thought, you know, an older gentleman like that would be able to surf the web and figure it out, you know, especially with so many people with the same name, you know. But he 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 found me. And what was I know you one met him in person? Yeah. What was I mean? Can you describe that in like a sentence? What was that like to? <laughs> To meet him actually in person again it was like a piece you know i was missing was being put back together mm. you know like it was like i like i never lost him you know like he's never not been there you know and i mean i didn't i didn't have no grudges and nothing you know i know you you told me some of the places that you knew that you might have thought I was at like you almost found me at one point and once I got put into the system you know that made it harder Mm -hmm. for him to find me you know and that was difficult you know and you know when he called out some of the places and stuff you know I was like he was on the right track pop Mm -hmm. he was close you know and we've talked plenty he's like son you you know I told him my story you know a good amount and he was very upset, you know, very hurt, you yeah. know, because he wouldn't have wanted me to grow up like that. Yeah. You know, staying where I had to, you know, being in any situation that I've been in. Yeah. You know. But uh it's powerful, man. Yeah, I mean, even now I still have a lot going on. Yeah. And we always gonna have our trials and tribulations, you know, but uh what we go through, it makes us who we are. Yeah. We choose to be who we are, you know. That's a good segue, man, because that is always the last question on the podcast is is what can somebody do to just in a simple way step in the life of someone like you, whether it's you know, a kid that's in foster care, kid that doesn't have a, a parent or just grew up in a really tough situation, or someone that's, you know, a little bit older and struggling to find their way and they're coming out of prison or just you know, they're just struggling, man. Like what what is a simple thing that somebody could do in, in your eyes, in your experience, that would have helped out you a lot or would help you even just right now that you appreciate? Just someone being there to listen and also talk, you know, giving them, you know, a sense of, hey, man, I'm here for you, you know. Nobody really wants anything, you know, but someone that actually genuinely care, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and let them know not to give up. You know, because at times people like, you know, myself and, you know, others who are in that similar situation, you know, they tend to want to just give up, yeah. you know, because they don't feel like no one really understands where they're coming from. And you can never fully understand if you haven't been through the same thing, but to try and grasp an understanding of what they got going on and let them know it's going to be all right. You know, I might not have been through what you've been through, but. I'm willing to hear you and be there for you if you need me. You know, just whenever you have that time in your 
in your day that you're thinking, oh, man, I just want to give up, give me a call, you know. Come talk to me whenever you get that chance, you know. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's good. It's huh. good advice, and I know you do that for other people, and I appreciate you sharing your story here. Definitely. It's, uh, man, we could talk for five hours about your story, and there's yeah. But I appreciate you summing up in that amount of time, and it's just really powerful, man. From from when you were a child up until now, it's just a lot to go through, and just the way you're handling yourself and trying to handle yourself and take care of your family that you have now, and man, you're really taking a lot of lumps and whether they're self-inflicted or they're a lot of them, most of them are coming from just because of the neglect you had when you grew up. Right. And yet you're still dealing with it and you're still moving forward. You're not blaming anybody, taking ownership of where your life's going right now. And I really respect that, man. I appreciate your friendship. appreciate you being on here. And I uh, think it's going to be really valuable for people to hear your story. Definitely. It was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. Quinn, thank you for producing City Church. Thanks for hosting. And, uh, Felix, uh, we also give a guest a chance to, if there's a way somebody may want to contact you, just ask you questions or reach out and just say, hey, or maybe you can help them with something. What's the best way, social media or email, or what? how can uh, yeah, they get a hold of you? Well, they can get in touch with me at live underscore life underscore P-I-T-O at yahoo.com. Send me an email. I definitely get back in touch with you. Cool. And we'll tag you on our social media posts when your sounds great podcast comes out as well. And again, thank you so much. And this has been the neglected. And we'll catch you next week. Peace. Mm-hmm.